Inner chaos is part of so many lives. When we go through it, we often try to hide it on the outside. Now I'm okay. I'm all good. But inside, there's a struggle. Why do I feel this way? Am I broken? Am I the only one feeling like this? When people connected with Jesus, they would grow to trust Him, pull down the mask they wore. It's okay not to be okay. Let me pray as we open up Scripture together this morning. Father, as we consider these few words, it's okay not to be okay. Uh, We're caught because we know that within our lives there's a a sense in which you're always consistently calling us to higher ground. Uh, You're wanting to improve our serve. You're wanting to improve our relationship with you. You call us forward uh, because you don't want us to stay in one place. You don't want us to stagnate. Equally, Lord, we can feel for different reasons Because of echoes of the past, words in our head, we can feel condemned and not equal to the title of being a son and daughter of the Most High God. And so this morning, Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to find, again, stories of people who have been lifted up and out because of the work of Jesus. And uh, we count ourselves in that group, regardless of where we find them in Scripture, because we're the people whom you have come to and said, it's okay not to be okay and I call you still to be mine. So we pray for your blessing upon this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, life takes us in different directions, doesn't it? That's a very simple observation to make. And life is impacted by the people we meet. How many of you still have friends from school? Remember those heady days of school and everything was possible? And, uh, and over time, we, we develop those relationships and they get nurtured. How many of you might have friends from when you played sport together? Yeah? What about friends from church? Yeah? A couple of you got friends at church. That's good. <laughs> it's really, really nice to know community building's happening for those seven people. Um, uh, what about um, recreational clubs or different people you meet because of your hobbies? How many people have met others along that way? Yeah, and so so what happens is along the way we meet people and we associate with them, they impact us, we impact them. And we never really think at the time that these can be lifelong relationships that are going to affect us into the future, uh, often positively. And if they're not positive, we generally withdraw because we can see the long-term effect of a, a negative relationship. But then there are situations that thrust us into the company of others when we didn't expect that. And these can be things like tragedy or injury or sickness or loss or when things go well, uh, sorry, things go poorly and we lose our jobs. And all of a sudden we find ourselves mixing with people whom we didn't expect to mix with. And this is one of life's bigger challenges because all of a sudden we find ourselves labelled or domiciled or serving or living within a group of people that we didn't actually expect to ever find in our lives. Um, Some of you have been involved with cancer support groups. That's come out of an illness, maybe to you or within the family. I know when our son-in-law Carl was unwell with cancer, with leukemia, uh, him and his wife, our daughter Brittany, were living in a leukemia village in Australia. 
And so everybody living in that apartment block had leukemia in their family. And so the conversation was always about the treatments you were having, how your recovery is going, all the blood results, everybody was savvy with those. And so they would talk about these over dinner like somebody who's a rugby fanatic might talk about uh, a rugby game. But this was the conversation. And this is how people gathered together. They didn't expect two or three or four years before to find themselves in that situation, but here they were. And we all find ourselves in different scenarios like this from time to time. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a piece of scripture which uh, goes under the title for me of of, um, Border Town. I'll turn that on. That'll help. Of Border Town. And this is a place that Jesus visits. Uh, It's not called Border Town in the scriptures, so don't think that you're missing out on something here. But Border Town is a place in the in-between. And often we find ourselves in these in-between places, and we didn't expect to be there, just like I mentioned, with sickness or cancer. And over a period of time, these different groups of people whom you've associated with, either through intentionality or by circumstance, these people become your friends. That's uh, the way life works. And so I want to take us back into Samaria. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this little place in Samaria called Sikoa, Sikar, here. And this is right in the heart of Samaria, where these were the Jewish people's hated cousins, those who had ruined the faith by mixing uh, through marriage with those who weren't of the true faith. And so here we met a woman uh, who had already had five husbands, and the woman was already now living with another man. And Jesus approached her and welcomed her to the center. He said, you don't have to stay on the edges anymore. And so this was right in the heart of Samaria. And when people traveled from the Judean region through to Galilee, if you were in a hurry and you didn't mind the Samaritans, you ripped through here. But what we find in this picture, that Jesus has created a completely different scenario. He's actually walking uh, down this river valley here between, again, Judea and Galilee. And we take it that he may have a bit more time, less urgency. But more likely, more likely, He's actually wanting to run into the people that we're going to meet this morning. And so we begin. Luke chapter 17, verses 11. And Jesus says this. Sorry, the scripture tells us this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. Where it says they stood at a distance, this is actually where verse 12 finishes at a comma. It's a strange place for a verse to finish, but it's kind of convenient really because you capture the picture here of what's going on. Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's wanting to obviously get from A to B. That's the reason why you walk. But he probably already knew that he was going to be encountering people who are in this situation on the fringes, living in border town, because this was an area that bordered both Israel and Samaria. Okay, this was a place where you were in the in-between. And being a leper, you were certainly in the in-between, somewhere between heaven and hell. Somewhere between heaven and hell. This sickness of leprosy is not necessarily the leprosy that we 
see now and today in our modern world where it's defined as leprosy, but it's a skin disease, a skin disease that causes the skin to inflame, and on that basis, you are then seem to be contagious to other people. And so in Scripture, it tells us that we have to be separated out from the main group of the community if you're struggling with this sort of disease. Do you ever want this disease? No. Do you ever go looking for this disease? Of course not. But all of a sudden, you can wake up one day, and because the nature of this disease is communicable, all it's taken is that you have mixed with somebody who's social, in a social environment, and you wake up one day and you look at your arm and it's broken out in a red rash. And then you watch it and you pray that nothing is going to come of it, that it'll go away. And I suspect once you've got this little rash on your arm, you'll wear long sleeve clothes to hide it because you don't want it to become so immediate and so apparent that you're struggling with this because you know that this is going to be a life sentence if this disease doesn't clear itself up on your body. So here we find 10 lepers. And we're going to see in a moment that these 10 lepers are melded together by their common problem. Because these people are a mixed group of Samaritans and and Jews. That's a very unusual scenario because often these folks, as you know, they just won't have anything to do with each other. But this is the nature of a disease. This is the nature of a challenge, the nature of a problem, isn't it? is that sworn enemies can become good friends in a situation where it's about survival. In fact, uh, National Geographic magazine some years ago did an article about floods in Africa. And when the floods come and the animals have less and less space because of the floods and the waters around them, they huddle together. Sworn enemies, lions and zebras, lions and antelopes, are living side by side without attacking each other because the enemy they face is far greater than the immediate threat of being eaten. And we find this scenario as well. Because of this problem of leprosy, these people are thrust together. All of their religious convictions just get laid aside. And so here they are, 10 lepers. And it says here that they, uh, they called out to Jesus from a distance, or should I say they stood at a distance. And the reason why they stood at a distance is because many hundreds hundreds of years before, in the book of Leviticus, when the law of God was being laid down, there were special um, requirements for those who had leprosy. And so we read it here. It says, Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as they have this disease, they remain unclean and they must live alone and they must live outside of the camp. That's the reason why you don't want to get leprosy. Your whole life changes. You're separated out. And you can understand the reason why. Because otherwise these diseases would just take hold within a community and everybody would become unwell. But at that moment when you were declared unclean by the priests, you were sent out to look a little bit like a Rastafarian on a holiday, on a walking holiday. Unkempt hair, torn clothes. And whenever somebody came close, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, just to warn people away. 
And of course, you'd have to yell this out so they could hear you. What a horrible, horrible scenario to be in. And we're told here that they should live alone and they must live outside of the town, outside of the camp. And then it goes on to say there's a little bit of hope in this because there is actually a scenario for getting yourself back into the community when your disease goes away. And it goes on a little bit further in Leviticus. It says, the Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of the ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them if they have been healed of their defiling skin disease. Okay, so there is hope here. If you've been cast out because of this disease, you can be brought back in once the disease is clear, but you have to go and show yourself to the priest. And in doing so, you go through a cleansing ritual, and then you would make sacrifices of some some birds, some doves, and other animals as a thank offering to God. It was a way of putting yourself back into the community. And so for these 10 lepers, for them to be together, thrust together, forced together, they must have been living this, this horrible life between heaven and hell, living in border town. Because they were no longer part of the community, yet they were part of the community. Just this community had put them in a place where they couldn't be part of the community. And so the community that they had was a community that they were forced into, basically like refugees, isolated, marginalized, despised because of no thing they've done to themselves but to just pick up a social communicable disease. And the problem with these groups of people that historians record is that they become a rabble. They become an unkempt rabble. They become an aggressive rabble. You see, when you've got a communicable disease, you own the street, don't you? Because all you have to do when somebody you don't like comes down towards you is all you have to do is run towards them. And they will run backwards because they don't want your disease. You see, when you're halfway between heaven and hell, hell sort of takes over. It's because people say, what have I got to lose? I've lost everything anyway. I've lost my key relationships. I can't work. I can't be part of this civic society in a way that it's supposed to function. I'm out here on my own. So who gives a rip about my rest of my behaviors? I can chase people down. I can intimidate people. I can have illicit relationships with whoever I want because I'm already out of the kingdom. I'm already in this purgatory with leprosy. I'm halfway between heaven and hell. But of course, we know the story doesn't finish here. You see, for these 10 lepers, this is now two years into Jesus' ministry. And rumor has it, rumor has it, Rumor has it that there's this guy called Jesus who's around Israel somewhere. He's been through Samaria before and he's met that woman who had five husbands. He's been down around the lake area. He's healed the demoniac. Rumor has it. And the travelers coming through there would have been standing at a distance saying, I hope, I hope you meet Jesus sometime because he might heal you. And you can imagine what their campfires were like. I I wonder if this is true or not. Is there really a guy who could heal us? Is there really a person out there who could make us whole? 
And maybe they had dreams at night, those, those fantastic dreams of going off to the priest to show themselves to the priest with their cleansed body. And then they wake up and they feel the pain of that skin disease and realize it was just a crazy, crazy hope. But then there's this guy, Jesus, floating around. Floating around somewhere. Will he ever come our way? We can't go towards him. And so we see this story as it unfolds. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Notice what Jesus does here or what he doesn't do. He doesn't get close to them. Why? Because it's ceremonially inappropriate. This guy's not a lawbreaker. The law said you don't go and touch people with skin diseases. Otherwise, you yourself have to go through a, a seven or 10 day cleansing process, which would have meant his ministry would have come to a grinding halt there and then. And he would have had to go and do all the things that the temple law required of him. So they appeal to Jesus from a distance. And, um, and Jesus doesn't say anything more. And as you see here, go show yourselves to the priests. Well, maybe their wildest dreams have just been tapped into. We know they would have been waiting for the day, someday, somewhere, sometime, when somebody said to them, go to the priest. Go to the priest was a, a symbol of hope. Because you only went to the priest when you knew you were healed or being healed. And it said, as they went, they were cleansed. So this act of faith, this opportunity that they had thrust upon them, caused them to go to the priest to, to discover afresh this wholeness and healing that they would have been looking for and hoped they would have, but probably never thought they would experience. But this isn't where the story ends. It's a good story. It could finish just here, couldn't it? Just here. And it would be a great little story of Jesus healing a group of people who were marginalized in the okay, it's okay not to be okay category. And therefore, they would have been um, brought into some sort of relationship with God through this. But uh, the story continues. The story is as much about the response of these people, as it is about the healing from leprosy. You see, the lepers had to be kept away from Jesus, but now they were healed. And Jesus is making a lesson for us here about our response, about our response to having wholeness. Uh, so often within our Western world, we have so much given to us that we don't even stop to recognize that we have been blessed and have been gifted and we have privileges beyond measure compared to other nations. Just this weekend's Herald talks about the 20 million starving people in the Sudan. Villages where the adults cannot walk any longer and the children have long perished. We get out of bed in the morning and we go, ah, I forgot to get some more milk, my coffee. Ah, oh, I'll just have to buy one on the way to church. You see, entitlement is something that 
uh, we feel we're entitled to. And for Jesus, this is the beginning of a different conversation here, that he starts by just addressing this one person who comes back. It says here, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Why do you think he praised God in a loud voice? Because he'd probably spent half his life only having a loud voice. You see, from 20, 30 metres away, he had to yell out the words, unclean, unclean. Now that he's healed, he's only got one voice and it's not an inside voice, it's an outside voice. So he's praising God with the only volume button on that he's got. It's the loud one. And to whom much has been given, much praise is often uttered out of that same mouth. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So is it any surprise to us that he's praising God in a loud voice? He's only got one voice, a loud one. And the little story continues. It said, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And here's the kicker. He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Well, this creates another problem for us. You see, the problem that we have when we look at Scriptures is that all the outside people seem to get the good things. All those who are outside of the family of Israel, they seem to be the ones who get affected the most. The Syrophoenician woman whose child was sick, Jesus heals that person. The woman at the well that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, she's the one who has a revelation, the first revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And what about the Roman centurion? He's a Roman soldier. And he seeks Jesus that one of his family would be healed and the child is healed. And then, of course, last week we looked at the demoniac on the other side of the lake where the pagans lived. And all of a sudden you start thinking to yourself, maybe being on the inside isn't such a good place to be. Maybe it's better to be on the outside because Jesus is in the process of inviting all of these people who are on the outside to the inside. And so if you're on the inside and you've got this smug look on your face which says, I'm already there, thanks very much, Jesus is saying, this isn't about you. This is about those who are on the outside in. And whilst you've got your walls up, and while you're already focusing on your own righteousness, I will take those who feel far away from my Father and I will draw them in. In this case, it's a Samaritan. And he's singled out because he's been mixing it up and living with Jews, obviously. This little community that they had was a community of desperation, a community of people who were on their last chances because they had no more chances. They were just doing life to the best of their ability, living on arms, A-L-M-S, they weren't cannibals, living on arms, living on gift, living on favour, living on mercy, living on charity, to the best of their ability. And Jesus now makes the comment that this man is a Samaritan. And we're reminded that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Repeatedly, we see people far from God being grateful. Isn't that a funny thing? People who are far from God are often the most grateful. 
One of the experiences that we're having in the life of our church right now is um, it's, a, it's a bit of a phenomenon of people turning up during the week off the street, telling us stories like, I don't know why I'm here, but uh, something tells me I need to be here. And so over the last few months, we've been able to lead numbers of folks to the Lord. People just walked in, parked their cars, come in and go, something's going on in my life and I, I need to be here. And the gratefulness that we see in these people's lives as they meet with Jesus for the first time and the scales come off and the revelation pours into their heart and the love of Christ is shed abroad and they realise that he died on the cross for their sins. It's very personal. It's very personal. It's very real. And they're tremendously, tremendously grateful as they are born again. We're putting them into home groups and alpha courses and hearing their stories. But the people on the inside, as in any community, it doesn't matter whether it's church or the local bridge club, those on the inside are the ones who struggle the most to be grateful. Why did nine carry on and not come back to Jesus? Because maybe in their head and their heart, these, what appears to be Jews, had a sense of entitlement that was above and beyond what this Samaritan had. And so we need to check our own hearts and our own motives here. Um, I saw this little card was given to our um, graphics team. They had it sitting up on their desk, and during the week I saw it, and I thought it would be fun to, um, fun to put it up. Uh, this is Jesus obviously breaking bread with the uh, um, feeding the 5,000. Now, I'm not having a crack at vegans or gluten-free folks here, but... I just had to laugh because um, that's what a spirit of entitlement looks like. You you look the gift horse in the mouth, you survey the free meal and you go, ah, rubbish. Yeah? Do you like that? You do, don't you? You're just not sure whether to laugh at it or not. (laughs) Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this, this foreigner? And this is, the, this is the challenge for us as a Christian community, is that um, as Jesus takes the Samaritan, he tells him to get up and go, rise up. He uses the word, same word as resurrection. Get up and go. Your faith has made you well. Literally says, by your faith you are saved. So another little dilemma Salvation has come to the Samaritan. The others just got healed. Salvation didn't come, right? There's a tension again. All these people on the outside are getting all the goodies that were reserved, they thought, for the inside folks. And so I just want to bring us back to this title of this message this morning and and, and put a challenge out there. You see, I think without a spirit of gratefulness, we live on border town or in border town. Without a spirit of gratefulness, we live in the in-between. It's like, ah, yeah, I could do it could do better. Everything around us, I could have a better job, better car, better house, better husband. Better kids. I wish I had their kids, they look great. We trade them. Trade me, three kids. Going cheap. 
Bordertown is the place in the in-between. Bordertown is the place where many, many New Zealanders live their lives. I think it's a national obsession with not getting too thankful, not getting too excited, not getting too zealous about stuff. I think it's a national obsession living in Bordertown where everything could be a little bit better. It's never quite good enough. Does that make sense to you? And only one out of ten maybe in our sphere of influence or our circles that we've ended up mixing with, the people whom we now do life with, maybe there is only one in ten in your group that actually say, I am so tremendously grateful for what I have. I'm so tremendously grateful for what I have. I think it's, I think it's like a cloak of heaviness actually over our nation. I think there's a high level of entitlement and I think, to be honest, to be honest, I could easily be one of those nine who just carried on walking. I'm going to the priest. Why? Because I'm entitled to go to the priest. I'm entitled to be healed. I'm entitled to pick up my life and move on from here. And it would be very, very easy to miss the opportunity just to simply be grateful. And so for that reason, we live in border town. And for that reason, other people see the blessing. Other people get the blessing. Others are living a life of joy and contentment that is there. If only I would be more grateful. It's as simple as that. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we are convicted by the words of Jesus and the actions of nine people, the majority. And maybe for some of us this morning, it's just a a reminder. It's as simple as that. I went to church this morning and I got a reminder of how blessed I am to be in the middle to be in the family, to be part of God's people, to be able to get out of bed in the morning and have freedom, to have food on my plate, to be able to worship freely with others, to be able to look around me and see here's hundreds of people around me who have my welfare at heart, who care for me and care for others. Look to the cross on the wall here and say, There it is that my salvation was bought and paid for by the Son of God, Jesus. Oh, it's so easy, Lord, to become familiar when we live in border town. It's so easy to become familiar with the things that others see as a tremendous blessing. God, we are at the very heart of the Christian community. We are at the very core of what it means to be living the life of a Christian within New Zealand. And God, we need to be reminded again that one out of ten being grateful is not good enough. And that as we go, as we move on, not only does our faith bring healing to us, but as we are grateful, we are resurrected and salvation comes to our whole being. And so, God, we ask this. We ask this in Jesus' name, that even as we sing this song this morning, that we can just 
flick that switch in our head that reminds us that we are the most privileged people, the most privileged people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.